So Money Episode 832, Sharon Epperson, Senior Personal Finance Correspondent at CNBC. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Having a situation where I nearly lost my life was the greatest blessing that I've ever had in my life. Our guest today was suddenly stricken with a brain aneurysm in 2016. It's an occurrence that is often fatal, but CNBC correspondent Sharon Epperson survived. And she's here on our show today to share her journey through that experience and how a few key financial preparations helped her and her family avert a financial catastrophe. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Sharon is no stranger to this show. She was on episode 247 in 2015. She's a well-known financial expert who can be seen regularly on CNBC and other media platforms. She's the senior personal finance correspondent for CNBC and named one of 12 to watch in TV news in 2018. When I interviewed her back a few years ago, we discussed her career as a journalist, her upbringing, but today we're going to shift gears and talk about her major health scare. She's healthy now, back at work, and an advocate for raising awareness about brain aneurysms and raising money for research. She has important advice for us today about how to prepare for the unexpected, things we can do right now to make sure our finances stay healthy, even as our lives take a turn. Here we go. Here's Sharon Epperson. Sharon Epperson, my friend, welcome back to So Money and Happy New Year. This is airing in January. It's great to be back on So Money. Thank you so much for having me. So last time you were on the show was, believe it or not, like almost 600 episodes ago. <laughs> uh, we've been a little busy on on this podcast, but you've also been uh, very busy and uh, want to just share the good news with our audience, which is that you are um, in recovery. You had a, a, bi- a really big health scare and we're so happy that you're healthy and back at work and uh, seems like busier than ever. And just to give listeners um, the quick story, but I want to really go into it with you and all the lessons you have to share. You were suddenly struggling with a brain aneurysm in 2016. That was a real, a real life threat, a real scare for you and your family. Um, and you've come out of that now on the other side with a lot of lessons learned. Tell us a little bit about just maybe going back to that moment in time. And, you know, we never hope that something like this would ever happen to us, but perhaps you almost felt like, you know, you were prepared in some ways financially, but not emotionally, probably. I don't think anyone is prepared for something that is a life-threatening illness or an unexpected event that may change their life forever. No one's ever expects that to happen. Um, but it is important to try to be prepared in some ways for what may happen or Make sure that your family members and your loved ones are prepared. And I was uh, not prepared to basically have an explosion in my brain that could have taken my life and often does take the lives of more than 40% of people who experience what I did, having a vessel in your brain rupture. Um, but the good news is that I did survive. And unlike 
many of those who survive and are unable to care for themselves or unable to um, return to their their previous jobs and careers because of their neurological deficits, I have been able to come back to my career at CNBC. And uh, one of the things that that I learned from it uh, professionally is that the point that I was in in my career right when this happened was probably one of the busiest that I've ever had. Um, and it was something I thought was going to be a tremendous uh, asset to my brand and what I've done over the years as a personal finance correspondent and a speaker and a professor and kind of motivating people to um, manage and, and protect and grow their money. And what I learned is that when I had to come to a full stop, and reassess my career and reassess what my goals were um, as a parent, as a wife, as a professional, um, I realized that I came out of it with a better brand and a brand that was truer to myself mm-hmm. and what I want to do uh, for the next chapter of my career and my personal life. So um, that's why I would say that having a situation where I nearly lost my life was the greatest blessing that I've ever had in my life. Well, we're so thankful, truly. And you have a lot of important advice, real life experience to share with people. Um, you were out of work for a while. And that, uh, you know, is part of why you're really insistent that people invest in disability insurance. It's not something that we often put on our to do list when we're creating a financial plan. Uh, but um, you had the fortune of having a plan like that. But um, tell us a little about, you know, what could happen if we don't have something like this protecting us? And do we really need it? Or is it just kind of a nice to have? Well, I think you have to think about, do you really need the income that you're getting from whatever job you're doing? Do you really need that money to pay the bills, whether it's your rent, your mortgage, your utilities, your phone, paying for things for your kids? If you say yes in any way to that, then you really need disability insurance. No one thinks about it. Very few people think about it because no one wants to think about the what if. But the what if when it happens and when it hits and you don't have it, that that means you're not going to be able to pay for some of the essential uh, expenses in your life. And so having disability insurance is something that will cover not necessarily all of your pay, but a significant percentage, 40 to 60 percent. Um, of your income, often depending on how you pay for it and the way you do your premiums, you will be paying for it in a way that it will become a tax-free benefit to you right. when you are getting those payments. So if you live in the New York area or somewhere that's um, a really high tax area, that can be a significant factor that helps also financially. So um, I think it's, it's extremely important to make sure that you have disability insurance that if your company doesn't offer it, you ask why not and how can I get it? If it does offer it, make sure that you get it and you get as much as you can. Right. And if you are self-employed, that you look into, even though it may take some late work to find a company that is able to give you disability insurance and that will insure you, make sure you get it. Um, and you see that as a real investment in yourself, your greatest financial asset is likely the earnings that you make. And so you want to protect that asset. And the best way to protect that asset is with disability insurance. Yeah, we don't often think of our earnings as an asset, uh, but that's exactly right. And just to put it in perspective, I think a lot of us 
underestimate the risks, uh, the probability rather of becoming disabled. And I was hearing you speak earlier. Um, at, we were together at a, we were recording a podcast for uh, the Wall Street Journal. And I remember you said something like, you know, the chances of you being disabled during your working years and being out of commission, out of work as a result of your disability is a higher likelihood than say passing away unexpectedly. And yet we talk about life insurance all the time and the importance of it. And it is important, but we often don't have this conversation around disability insurance. But meantime, it's something that could potentially be more urgent. And it's something that is more urgent, could be more urgent and is more urgent for a lot of single women. As you're entering your career, you're just trying to figure out how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to be able to eat out a couple times when I want to? How am I going to be able to pay back my student loans? How am I going to be able to afford all of these bills that are right here and right now? And becoming disabled, just like the fact that you may pass away, seems like so far away, so long from now. I don't have to worry about that. But when you're single, there's no one else that's going to take care of you financially necessarily. If you're independent from, you're financially independent now from your parents, you don't have a partner that is going to pick up the income if you lose your income. You need to support yourself and have disability insurance. What have you changed or adjusted in your own personal financial life in the aftermath of the aneurysm? Um, I know you had a lot of things in place that helped you thrive, but what were there any adjustments that you still made? Um, I think I am much more, I was always focused on my savings, but I'm much more focused on trying to as best I can live, not just within, but slightly below my means um, because I don't know what could happen and I don't, I'm not anticipating ever having a relapse. I'm not anticipating anything happening, but I just know um, that you just never know. That's, that's what I now know for sure. You never know what can happen. So I'm making sure that I'm, I'm really paying myself first in, in, in many ways, financially, you know, in terms of building an emergency savings, but also in terms of taking care of myself and my health and, and maybe making sure that I'm not overdoing it in terms of trying to do everything that I possibly can to work for my kids, for my husband at the same time to drive myself nuts. I mean, that's just not healthy. And your physical health uh, can have a big impact on your financial health because if you become chronically ill or you have different illnesses, you're not taking care of, it's just important to put it all together. So health and wealth go hand in hand. Um, the other thing that I've done a lot more of, I had automated most of my finances. I pretty much every bill, you know, that I can, I have, you know, on automatic bill pay or, or, um, you know, have automatically deducted from my, from my checking account. And the thing that I've done a little bit differently because my husband and I have each have different accounts for different expenses is that we've clued each other in on all of it and, on um, you know, passwords and things like that. And I think that's really important too, to kind of, if you're in a silo and, and again, this is whether you have, have a partner or if you're single, you need to have someone that you trust um, be clued in on what your intentions are, whether it's just how you pay your bills or it's a bigger picture of, um, you know, having a plan for who will take care of your kids if something happens to you, who will take care of your finances or your health um, care decisions if you're unable to do that because you are, you have become disabled or you're incapacitated for a short amount of time. People don't think about that either, but 
Um, I think that's something that's very important to think about. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations recently, I guess, because my kids are 13 and 16, and I'm looking ahead to college for my son. And to parents who have kids who are now out of the house and they're in college, and the parents are still paying for health care and all of that, but they're adults. They're over 18. And if they don't say that they want you to make the health care decision if something happens to them, it's not a given that you're the one who's going to be able to get all that information, even if you're their parent and even if you're paying their insurance. So having some of these legal documents drawn up, um, whether you're 18 or whether you're 81, you know, it can be very, very important. And mm-hmm. it's worth having conversations with experts who, who know how to do this and who can help you do it to uh, to see if you really need it and, and how you can get it placed. Especially this time of year, New Year, great time to do an audit of these kinds of systems that you may or may not have in place. And I think to your point, communication is of the utmost, starting with your partner, but also, you know, looking outside of your home, who uh, who are some other people you can bring in to help to um, communicate some of these really important moves in the event that you or both of you are unable to make financial decisions or healthcare decisions, whether it's a power of attorney or um, a guardian for your kids. Um, You know, so often we don't pre-plan and we don't set up these systems, Sharon, because this is a really emotional topic. Uh, Money in and of itself is emotional, but when you add to it this probably, you know, this, this thought process of what the what ifs, what happens, the tragedies, the possibilities, it's, it can almost, um, deter people, right, from actually dealing with this. And so any advice for those people listening who are like, oh, this is just making me so depressed? Right. I just had this great holiday season and now this woman comes on, she's totally depressed. <laughs> right. So I if I get hit by a truck. Um, I think you have to look at it the other way. And I actually, thankfully, always have looked at the fact of planning for the unexpected and planning for what happens when I'm not here is the greatest legacy I could ever leave for my children and for my family. And I think, uh, particularly as an African-American woman, culturally, that not being, death not necessarily being something you talk about, definitely not wills and, you know, other than this is what my funeral is going to look like, people just don't talk about it. And I think that it's important in order to um, pass on a legacy of financial strength, if not immense wealth, it's important to make sure that you've had these conversations. And so after having a holiday season where you've spent time with family and friends and you've enjoyed the countless, you know, encounters and and that you've had with people and, and sharing how much you enjoy being with one another, take that time to also celebrate what you can leave to others in terms of being able to not leave them with your credit card debt, with, um, you know, a house that you haven't really figured out how anyone's going to pay for it if you're not here. Um, I see so many friends that have been left in those situations where you're devastated because something has happened to a loved one, but then you're, it's compounded by the fact that you have no idea financially if this means you're going to have to take on all their financial responsibilities and all of their debts and all of that. There's no plan. Um, and I think that that can just, it's just, uh, it, that's even more devastating because it lingers as, you know, as you're already trying to deal with some of the emotions around a, um, uh, a traumatic experience. So I, 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 I don't know if I'm 
sounding like it's any happier than, you know, when you initially asked me the question. But I just think it's such an important legacy to have, yeah. a legacy of financial strength. It's just like the greatest gift you could give anyone is to let them know that they're going to be okay. You're, you know, you've left everything okay so that they don't have to worry about your finances. Right. It's a great thing to be able to do, to do for your loved one. Yeah. I mean, to me, it just sounds like if you are struggling with the emotions around this and kind of doing what you need to do, uh, it's not really about you at the end of the day, right? It's about your loved ones. It's about your legacy. And I think as women too, right, we're really good at putting other people first. (laughs) So leverage, leverage that, okay? Leverage that uh, instinct to sort of want to take care of everybody else first and yourself last. We normally don't advocate for that. But in this case, if that's what's going to motivate you to go out there and get the will and get the life insurance and the disability insurance, then so be it because it'll be for a great reason. The other thing you can find is you're not perfect and no one is perfect and being able to admit that you know I kind of messed up here I'm trying to get better but you know my my financial situation with my credit card debt is not where I want it to be or I still have this much left on the student loans and I, I'm not exactly sure I'm gonna, how I'm going to get it all done but I'm going to figure it out having that conversation with someone can be liberating can be freeing can be you know um, you know, a way to help you then get on a better path. And in addition to your partner, if you have, if you have a husband or you have a spouse, um, you need an accountability partner in your financial life, um, single or married, uh, or coupled. You need to have someone who you can say, if, if a curveball comes my way, can you keep me straight? Can you keep make sure that I do what I've set out to do? Um, and and if I'm continuing to do what I'm doing, if I'm already on a path, just check in with me every now and then. So keeping everything to yourself, whether it's um, kind of goals that you set for yourself that you are starting to make or challenges that you have in front of you that, that you're not sure you're going to be able to meet, having someone, I like to call it my AP, my accountability partner, um, really helps. And it's, that's not necessarily the person who is on all the documents or something. It may be someone else. It may be someone else that that, that you bring into the inner circle. It may be a financial advisor. It may be a a close friend, but it has to be someone that you trust that's going to keep you on that path. Yes. And there's actually science behind everything you just said, that when we um, announce our savings goals, when we share our ambitions, financial ambitions, as opposed to doing them in a silo. And I can see where that can happen. A lot of us, we don't want to talk about our money because we feel like it's a taboo topic, but just being open about it holds yourself hold you accountable to that. And people have been proven to actually not just be able to save more, but they save more frequently and they're just way more successful with their plans. So don't uh, just believe Sharon and I, like there's actually like studies out there that have uh, driven this point home. Um, our show is sponsored by Chase Slate, Sharon, and it's January. So we're asking listen, uh, guests, what is your financial resolution in 2019? My financial resolution in 2019 is to add more money to my son's college savings account. Increase my my monthly savings savings account. Mm -hmm. And is there a particular goal in mind or is it just for more peace of mind? 
Well, my goal for both of my children is I, I really would love for them not to have student loans. That's a big goal. Um, and part of that is going to be my saving, and part of that is going to be our discussions about where they can go to college, where they're going to come out um, in a strong financial position and not laden with a bunch of debt um, based on what they want to do. So it's an ongoing conversation, and I have, thankfully, a couple more years with my 16-year-old and, and more than that with my 13-year-old. But it's something that I'm thinking about quite a lot because um, I've been doing so many stories about people being burdened with student loan debt. And I don't just mean someone in their 20s. I mean the parents oh, yeah. who got the plus loans and those that went back to grad school because they got laid off and they thought that would give them a better position in the future. Um, and, and it's... And it's um, it's just so difficult. It's hard to get in front of that. And so I want to help my kids um, be in front of that, you know, before before they start their careers by not having that debt. So it's a big, it's a big, big goal. Mm. Um, and I don't know if I'll reach it, but I'm, but I'm trying. And are your children receptive to these kinds of conversations? I know parents often underestimate, I think they underestimate the, the, the ability for children to really wrap their brains around sometimes, you know, why we can't just, you know, mortgage the house to get, send you to college or take out all of these loans and to get really realistic about the cost of college when you're 13, 15, 17, that can feel very abstract to you and unfair. Because uh, all you want to do is go to your dream school. So, any tips or uh, maybe even surprises that you've encountered in talking to your kids? Still, you know, maybe uh, positive things that you've um, you went in with sort of a un- feeling like they weren't going to get it, but now they do. Things to sort of keep parents optimistic and motivated to have these open dialogues with their kids about money, especially um, as college looms. Well, I think it's really important to start so much earlier than they're even thinking of the word college. You probably start talking to your kids about money before they can even spell the word um, college just in simple ways of just, you know, when they want candy or they want a cookie or they want a snack or they want something from the store um, of what the cost is associated with it. And if they waited um, and they waited for it to go on sale or they waited for, um, you know, to really think about if that's the toy they really want or do they want something else, uh, what else could they get if they didn't get the toy? Those are conversations you can start really, really early. And I, I, you know, my kids have no choice. It's just what I do is talk about money all the time. And I don't turn it off. I talk about it at home and, and when we're buying things as a family. And I, I remember when my kids were probably 10 and 7 or so, we went to um, go buy a new refrigerator. And I had them look at the prices just because the number to them was like, what? I'm like, this is the place you go in every day. It has all your favorite stuff in it. And you need to know how much it costs. So when you have that urge to swing on the door of it and it pops off because then I have to buy another one, you know, don't because (laughs) this is how much it costs. Um, And I do that with them a lot so that now when my kids do their holiday list, um, their Christmas list comes with coupons for Retail Me Not. Or like, this is 50% off, so this is why I should get this one. They know that Santa is going to look for bargains as well. Um, and the elves might be working really hard at whatever they're, they're doing to, to give them for Christmas. But it would be great if they got a little bit of a sale price on it. Yeah. Uh, I talk about that stuff with them a lot. And I think it, as my son now working in the summer and as a camp counselor making his own money, when he goes to buy things, he looks 
things that are on sale. He looks for things that he has a coupon for. He waits till, you know, he actually has all the money for it and thinks sometimes about whether that's the right thing to buy. He doesn't do that all the time. Um, but he does do it enough for me to know that he hears me. Um, and the, but the last thing I'll say is sometimes the money lessons can be not fun and they're not, they don't get as excited about them. My gift last year, um, after my son had his first job, I wanted to make sure that he had a checking account. I set up a high school checking account for him. And um, I had the, the clerk at the bank gave me a fake debit card because he had to be with me in person to get the debit card. So I just wanted something for him to unwrap it. He was so excited. He was like huh. so excited to get this piece of plastic. And then when I explained to him that there was only a certain amount that after, you know, in addition to his savings that was in there, um, there was only a, a, a certain amount I would be giving him for buying lunch at school or going out or whatever. Uh, and then when it was done, it was done. So if he didn't budget right, he wouldn't be able to eat lunch, you know, or, or whatever. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. Yeah. This is not a gift. Um, oh. I guess, you know, it is, well, it's a gift of a money lesson as much as more sure. than a gift of money. But, um, you know, it was something that I wanted to, he was really excited at first as he started to understand all that went into it. And I think that's life. We get really excited when we get that new job or we got a raise or we got or something great happened, you know, in our financial life. And then the reality is you still have to pay the rent and the mortgage. You still have to, the car breaks down, you still have to fix it. You know, you went over your lease, you have to pay for that. Whatever it is, you think things happen and you still have to figure out how to be resilient in light of it. So I think in the new year, as everyone is focused on what is my resolution? What am I going to do? This is my goal. Let's think about also what you're going to do to be resilient if that doesn't pan out, because that actually may be more practical uses your time to figure out than sometimes, you know, the practice of just coming up with a bunch of resolutions that sometimes are hard to meet. I really like the story of of taking your kids into the store to, to price shop refrigerators. I, you know, I think it's a little funny, but it's also important because often we grow up not knowing what things cost. The things that our parents afford for us, what do those things cost? So that when we do turn 16 and we get that debit card with some cash on it, we have perspective, right? We have right. a sense of what might be worth it or not, or what's worth, worth it to us or not. Um, that's really smart. I really like that tip. Uh, a lot of people share are talking about recession in 2019. And, you know, the tried and true advice, I think, is just you can only control what you can control. We can't control the the state of the stock market, but we can control our own savings. We can control our diversification in our portfolios and our debt. And is there anything else you would like to share as people always, I think, naturally get apprehensive about a market downturn, especially because it could mean job loss. It could mean um, home devaluation. It could mean all sorts of things plummeting in their 401ks. But is there anything going into that forecast that you would recommend we do or not do? Well, I think I'm, I'm glad you put the investment part last, actually. So if you're thinking about, again, your greatest financial asset, your earnings, your job, you know, you just want to kind of do a monthly or at least every three months check-in. What am I doing? Am I reaching all the goals that I'm supposed to reach that the company wants me to reach or that my vendors want me to reach or what have you? You want to make sure that you are, you know, really doing the best that you can in your in your field and you also want to be smart about it and 
be updating with all the great things you did in 2018. Make sure your LinkedIn profile, your resume is ready in case something does happen. That's not a bad exercise to do every three months, even when the market is going sky high and the economy is on on fire. You want to be prepared. So that's what I would do on the professional front. In terms of your home, if you're worried about your home price and home value, unless you're a person who invests in real estate, you're living somewhere to to live there. I mean, it's it's not just an investment. And so if it goes, if the price of it, the, the home value goes down and you still have eight, 10 more years because you want to stay in that area because that's where your, your the schools are for your children or that's where you love being, it's not that big a deal. It may come back up, it may not. But again, this is where you're living. And, you know, if the cost of living there the way you are by being a homeowner versus the cost of renting in that same area, if it, if it kind of still makes sense, then I wouldn't worry too much about that. And then in terms of your investments, this is money that is in the market that you do not need for at least five to 10 years. And if you need it sooner than that, then it should not be invested in the market. So it, it doesn't help to see the market down, the Dow down 600 points, or, you know, it doesn't help to see a 5% slide in something that you thought was going to be going sky high for the next year. But if you don't need that money, it doesn't matter as much. Um, it's this is money that you're going to need 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road. So uh, I think all of it is just, and to me, whenever there's talk of a recession or problems with the economy or a market downturn, it's a wake-up call for many people that sleep through all of this. And that, I think, is a great thing. If this causes you to pay attention and to read a statement or to, you know, look at, again, your resume, look your resume over or to really make sure that this is the area that you really want to live in um, and what are the real benefits of being in that in this neighborhood or being a homeowner, that's all good things because I think we put the, again, we spent so much time researching other things, researching the best restaurant, uh, researching the best, um, you know, appliances to get researching the best electronics to have and we don't spend as much time researching our you know what's going to be best for us for our financial life for our professional life um so this might be a time for people to start the year and do that you said that uh you've now really been leaning into a lot of conversations around wellness health preparing for the what ifs. And so wh- where can we find you? Obviously at CNBC, but what are some of the other initiatives that you're involved in that we can support you or find you at? Well, one of the biggest um, initiatives that I'm doing in terms of health is just bringing awareness uh, about what brain aneurysms are and increasing the research funding for them. I mean, one in 50 people have a brain aneurysm. Often nothing is fine. It's, you know, wow. nothing happens to you, but many people um, something could happen seriously. And, and, and there's very little federal funding for research to look into treatments and for early detection um, and for um, new developments in that area. So I'm working with the Brain Aneurysm Foundation um, to raise awareness and research funding about that. Uh, I'm also working on, uh, you know, at CNBC, a couple of digital projects that are looking at um, the intersection of health and wealth and just your financial future in general. One is called Your Money, Your Future. Another one is called Retire Well. Uh, and then you can see me most nights on Nightly Business Report, which is a show that's produced at CNBC but actually airs on your local public television station. Uh, and you can see me on weekends on your local TV stations on a show that's syndicated called On the Money. So those are some of the things that I have going on right now. But I think the easiest way to figure out what's going on is to just follow me on Twitter, 
mm. Sharon underscore Everson or um, Facebook or Instagram. And um, I pretty much put a lot of the things I'm working on there. All right. We'll definitely put all of that on our website as well. Sharon, thank you so much. It's really nice to reconnect. Great to hear your voice. And thank you for spreading the good word and all the wisdom. Really important information for all of us as we try to really just, you know, make the most of the year and our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you. Thanks so much to Sharon for joining us. You can follow her on Instagram at Sharon Epperson CNBC. She hosts the CNBC Digital Original Video Series, Retire Well and Your Money, Your Future. Check it out. Remember, you can always go to somoneypodcast.com and leave me your questions there for our Friday episodes by clicking on Ask Farnoosh. I'm also pretty busy on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. Head over there, direct message me your questions. I typically answer on the go and then save some also for the episodes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.